0: Welcome to episode 86 of the TruthQuest podcast, the truth about the abortion debate. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show. If you're on social media and topics such as abortion, the State of the Union address, capitalism, the United States at war, or the killing of General Soleimani comes up, please share the topic-specific truth Quest episode with your debate partner. Episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean.com, and most recently, ThinkSpot. The video versions of the podcast are available on YouTube, bitshoot.com, and brighteon.com. If you are listening to this on the Apple Podcast app, please take a moment and scroll down on the podcast page and give it a 5-star rating. Another way you can help grow the show is to throw a small donation my way at the TruthQuest Podcast Patronage page. All donations will be used to drive awareness of the podcast through Facebook and Twitter advertising. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for details finally, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. Over the last few weeks, the topic of abortion has been top of my mind. It all started with the State of the Union address when Trump said, quote, I am asking Congress to pass legislation to prohibit late-term abortion of children who can feel pain in the mother's womb, end quote. Then I got into a little verbal altercation on Facebook with a couple of distant relatives about abortion in general, and before I knew it, I had this week's episode all packaged up and ready for delivery. First, an observation. When Trump made that statement during the State of the Union, naturally the Democrats sat on their hands, which is their prerogative, and as it was their practice on that night. You can listen to episode 85 for a rundown on that. But think about the box that Trump put the Dems in by carefully choosing the words, who can feel pain. See, the National Democrats, those in Congress and those running for the presidential nomination, have been full-court pressing for late-term abortion or partial-birth abortion. Not a one spoke out against the despicable behavior of the New York legislature last year when they celebrated the passage of a bill legalizing the practice. Governor Cuomo went so far as to light up the Empire State Building in pink, commemorating his signature on the infanticide bill. So with that backdrop, Trump knows the Dems will never applaud a call for limitations on late-term abortions, So he takes it another step further with the four words, who can feel pain. The picture painted by this whole scene is one of the National Democrats cannot avoid or deny because they stand steadfast in their worship at the altar of abortion. They have transformed themselves into the party of death. I apologize to anyone offended by that analysis. Like I said, it's just an observation. But when it comes to the topic of killing innocent babies, I feel no need to beat around the bush. We've been doing that for almost 50 years since the Roe v. Wade case. And what did it get us? Tens of millions of aborted babies in a society that refers to the practice nonchalantly as a choice. So let's stay with Trump's call for the prohibition of late-term abortions, which, as a pro-life advocate, seems to be great news. A federal ban on late-term abortions? What could be wrong with that? Turns out a lot is wrong with it. See, abortion is not a federal issue. It's a state issue. The Constitution is silent on the issue of abortion, and per the Tenth Amendment, the issue is to be resolved in the states. Unfortunately, this is now impossible because liberals and progressives have done what? They've made a proverbial federal case out of the issue of abortion. See, these folks do not like federalism, meaning they don't like power being diffused across 50 states. They are not comfortable with the individual states making decisions about their laws. They can't leave important decisions like abortion to the masses. The elites, the smartest among us, will make those decisions for us. They must shove their unconstitutional agenda down the throats of the entire nation. Think abortion, welfare, Obamacare, Social Security, Medicaid, Medicare, Medicare Part D, marriage, drug prohibitions, gun control. Wait a minute, you may be thinking. Sure, the Constitution doesn't specifically say anything about abortion, but the Supreme Court sure has. And by thinking that, you have stumbled upon a stark reality that I have arrived at through the publication of these episodes. That being, we now live in a post-constitutional America. It is regularly ignored, often maligned and misrepresented, and it is frequently rewritten by the judicial branch without an amendment. But you would be correct about the Supreme Court. Everyone's heard of Roe v. Wade. However, it's obvious that very few people have ever read the court's majority opinion. As I pointed out in episode 47, The Truth About Roe v. Wade, What They Don't Tell You, anyone who reads the opinion knows that it actually puts severe restrictions on abortions. But more on that in a minute. So where does this leave us? Constitutionally speaking, abortion is a state issue, but notice what happens every time a state passes a law that may make abortion a less appealing option to, say, carrying your baby to term, loving it, and raising it or giving it up for adoption. Some states have passed laws requiring mandatory waiting periods, counseling, adoption advocacy, or requiring that the mother view an ultrasound of their baby. Some states have passed laws requiring abortion clinics to have hospital admitting rights. Any time these types of legal measures are taken at the individual state level, the abortion industry, liberals, democrats, and progressives of all stripes, like a group of jackals, rapidly run to the courts and start filing lawsuits asking for injunctive relief. How sick is that? The state legislature passes a law hoping to reduce the number of dead innocent babies, and a death squad descends on the courthouse steps in opposition. Why are they able to sue a state on an issue like that, that constitutionally speaking is clearly within the state's jurisdiction? Well, they sue because abortion was made a federal issue with Roe v. Wade in 1973. This unconstitutional opinion has acted as a federal wall of protection around the practice of abortion in the United States. But what pro-abortion advocates don't get is the fact that as Sylvester Stallone's character in First Blood, John Rambo said, they drew first blood, not me. Pro-lifers were not the ones who ran to the Supreme Court and demanded the prohibition of abortion. They operated within their state and their communities. Liberals, progressives, and Democrats ran to the courts. If you want to live by the Supreme Court, you got to be willing to die by it. As discussed in episode 33 The Truth About Abortion, Mental Gymnastics, if the government can find a right to abortion, the government can also take it away. And where does the right of abortion come from? Well, apparently it comes from the state, specifically the Supreme Court. The abortion crowd knows this, which explains their rapid deployment of lawyers any time a pro-life measure is passed into law. The pro-life movement knows that the right to life comes from God and what God grants no government can take away. So just to clarify something for some of you who are confused about ignoring a Supreme Court opinion, I think it's important for you to remember that the Supreme Court issues opinions. They do not issue decisions or rulings. They do not write or rewrite legislation. In other words, Roe v. Wade means nothing. It is the opinion of five people. These people are not the equivalent of the gospel writers. If you are still skeptical about my thoughts about the Supreme Court, check out episode 16, The Truth About the Supreme Court. The bottom line is federal involvement in this issue is null and void because it's unconstitutional. It's no different than the enforcement of federal marijuana laws. That's what's called nullification. Listen to episode 23 for more on that. So far, I've blasted the National Democratic Party for their well-documented worship of so-called choice, And I've argued that Trump's call for a national ban on late-term abortion is unconstitutional, while pointing out that what choice does the guy have, given the left has nationalized the issue over the last 50 years? I've mentioned the Roe v. Wade opinion several times now. i produced two episodes on it, number 46 and number 47, but I thought it would be a good use of time to summarize those episodes here. But I would encourage you to listen to them in their entirety if this topic interests you. In episode 46, I reflected on the intellectual dishonesty of of justices that comprise the majority opinion and the lack of true constitutional analysis. I also recounted my alarm at the callous manner in which the life in the womb was characterized and the list of so-called valid reasons for ending an innocent life. Justice Harry Blackmun presented a sick and twisted case for abortion, but in the end the court surprisingly left the door wide open for state regulation of abortion. You would be surprised to know the extent to which the opinion actually helped solidify the pro-life argument. Besides leading to the death of tens of millions of innocent lives, this opinion demonstrates just how far activist judges are willing to go to ignore and or circumvent the Constitution in order to pursue their policy preferences. In episode number 47, I demonstrated this by dismantling the majority's three primary citations, the right to privacy, the 9th, and the 14th Amendment. I walk you through the second half of the opinion and expose you to parts that neither the pro-life nor the pro-abortion side of the debate ever mention, namely the very clear language finding that the right to an abortion and the right to privacy is not absolute. The opinion clearly grants states the ability to regulate and ban abortions. I just don't understand why this is not common knowledge after 50 years. As I mentioned at the start of the episode, I had a couple of abortion-related incidents that spurred the production of this particular episode. The first being Trump's State of the Union address, and the other, some confrontations on Facebook about abortion. I'm going to recap both of these confrontations verbatim and then comment on them at the end. The first incident occurred when my wife posted a meme that stated, quote, When you're pregnant, you shouldn't smoke tobacco, consume alcohol, eat raw fish, or ride a roller coaster." but you can walk into an abortion clinic and end the life of a baby, end quote. So I'll call her distant relative number one, replied. If you don't agree with abortion, just don't have one. My wife, what about the baby? Distant relative number two, don't judge other people's situation. Everyone has a right to their own decisions. Me, why do you sugarcoat your words? Just say it. Everyone has a right to kill their baby. Distant relative number two, not that righteous to determine what's right or wrong for anyone else. Me. What does righteousness have to do with right and wrong? If one of your children got caught stealing something from the corner drugstore, would you accept the response from them like the one you just gave? Come on, Mom. Who are you to determine what's right or wrong for me? Distant relative number two. Discussion over. Me. Why is the discussion over? If your position is based on sound logic and morality, you would be more than willing to continue. Since you refuse to answer two simple questions and have ended the discussion, I'm left to infer. Number one, what about the baby? I suspect that you've never thought about that before. You've simply swallowed a pro-choice line of thought, hook, line, and sinker for decades, but now you have been forced to think about the innocent babies that are sacrificed by the thousands every week, all in the name of choice. Number two, similarly, you have never been forced to think about the morality that you espouse, which, based on your comment, you are not righteous enough to determine right and wrong for anyone else. You are a moral relativist. I am not. I believe there is black and white, right and wrong, murder, rape, stealing, and assault, all wrong. Abortion falls in that category as well because the baby is innocent. The baby did nothing wrong and you refuse to answer the question, what about the baby? That's on you. So a few days later my troublemaking wife posts another meme that simply stated a truth that almost 60 million babies have been aborted since roe v wade in 1973. distant relative number one decided to weigh in again and in the process fully demonstrate some of the most often articulated intellectually lazy excuses for their pro-abortion excuse me pro-choice stance a few years ago this conversation would have left me frustrated disappointed and upset but But not only did it serve as motivation to produce this episode, for reasons I'll explain shortly, I think the outcome was very productive and instructive. In response to the meme, distant relative number one said, I repeat, if you don't believe in abortion, don't have one. The choice is yours. Me, if you don't believe in rape, don't do it. The choice is yours. If you don't believe in murder, don't do it. The choice is yours. If you don't believe in stealing, don't do it. The choice is yours. If you don't believe in child abuse, don't do it. The choice is yours. I should have added, if you don't want to defend your pro-choice position, don't respond to pro-baby Facebook posts. Distant relative number one, that comment doesn't even make good sense and could only come from a man. Me. Which comment doesn't make sense? Why can't a man have an opinion about the killing of innocent children in the womb? Do the fathers of babies have any rights? Distance relative number one, you obviously like to debate and argue. I have learned over my years that you might as well not even respond to anyone with the attitude of, I may not always be right, but I am never wrong. We are family, so we'll leave it at that. Me. All I have done is pose a series of questions to you, and for that matter, distant relative number two. That is not a debate. A debate is point-counterpoint. Okay, okay, I understand that. At this point, I'm, I'm arguing, but she started it. All right, so back to my response. And when it comes to this topic, all you two have done is abruptly end the conversation without answering a single question. That's dismissive and very disappointing. We should be coming to you for wisdom about topics like this, but instead, all we get is deflection. Your comments don't make any sense. You are our man, so sit down and shut up. This topic's too important to sit down and shut up. I continued. I noticed that neither you nor distant relative number two answered the question posed to you the other day. Curious if you would answer it now. What about the baby? Distant relative number one. I gave you my answer. If you don't believe in abortion, don't have one. Everyone on God's green earth has the right to have an opinion. Just because it's not the same as yours does not make it wrong. And nothing you say is going to change my mind or my belief or my opinion. Another Facebook friend. Distant relative number one. As is any choice any person makes, we choose to lie, cheat, steal, or kill. It is definitely our choice, but doesn't make it an approved choice. Distant relative number one, another Facebook friend, now you are making the same argument as he is, except you left out rape. While I respect your opinion and belief, mine is not the same and I choose to end this discussion on abortion as it is just different beliefs. Me. Distant relative number one, you sure do have a right to an opinion, but we are not talking about fiscal or monetary policy or tariffs or climate change. In this case, I would contend that yes, your opinion is wrong, because you are of the opinion that murdering babies, and for all I know, ones that can live outside the womb, but since you and distant relative number one have abruptly ended this so-called debate, I have no idea where you draw the abortion is okay line in the sand. I'm only left to make assumptions. It's too bad that nothing I will say can change your belief or opinion. But just between you and me, I haven't been talking to you or distant relative number two throughout this thread. I've been talking to everyone else who reads this, that knows in their heart that abortion is wrong but are afraid to speak up because society frames it as a choice. Speaking of that, I have another question that I know you won't answer. What exactly is this choice you speak of? If you're not willing to speak up for the unborn, what are you willing to speak up about? And by the way, just in case you think I'm a jerk, I ended the conversation by thanking both distant relatives for their willingness to engage, to the extent that they did, because I knew the instructive nature of it would be heard by hundreds, maybe thousands, of people through this podcast episode. And as I was reviewing my notes for this episode, I came across an abortion-related conversation I had several years ago that I recounted in my book, Critical Thinking, and I also mentioned in episode 33. My friend, who is actually the same friend who waded into the previous conversation, She posted a video of a presumably aborted baby still in the placenta. The video showed two nurses gently touching the baby, which clearly responded to their touch. Friend of my Facebook friend, why would you even share such a horrible video? Ugh, my friend, because my heart aches for the babies that are conceived and then killed. Me, quoting friend of friend, why would you ever share such a horrible video? Because we tried putting our head in the sand, we pretended pro-choice is admirable, we allowed ridiculous rhetoric like war on women and women's health issues to go unchallenged, and at the end of the day, we ended up with 55 million aborted babies. Friend of my friend, you have your opinions, I have mine. You don't know if the baby was sick or anything. 55 million aborted babies is a horrible number. Now, do your research on how many children are homeless without loving families, growing up with drunks and narcotics around them. When you take care all about those kids that suffer on a day-to-day basis, let me know and I'll put my head in the sand. Me. I don't follow. What does one have to do with the other? Aborted babies and abused children. Friend of my friend. Really? You don't follow at all? Well, then I'm going to stop right here. Me. Since you won't clarify, I'll infer. Those babies are better off never being born I assume your logic is that no one has ever grown up in a family of drunks or drug users have ever gone on to make a wonderful contribution to society. They are better off never being born. Now, I will admit that those three conversations are anecdotal. You have a choice to dismiss them or learn from them. Here are the conclusions that I have drawn from not only these three Facebook confrontations, but from the countless interviews, articles, and news stories that I have consumed over the decades by pro-abortion advocates or, if you prefer, pro-choice advocates. First, I notice that they never answer any direct questions. What about the baby? What does righteousness have to do with right and wrong? Why is this discussion over? What the, what's the father's rights? Which comment does not make sense? Why can't a man have an opinion about killing an innocent child in the womb? Are you saying that babies are better off dead? I notice how they deflect everything. They dismiss men who wade into the anti-abortion dialogue, assuming I guess that male sperm is not a requirement for pregnancy. I must have been absent that day for health class. They dismiss you with, don't judge me, and you like to debate so I won't engage, or I'm not righteous enough to cast judgment on women who have abortions, while at the same time casting judgment on me for daring to challenge the 3x5 card of allowable opinion on abortion. Hat tip, Tom Woods. I've come to realize that the deflecting tactics are intellectually lazy and dishonest and should be called out as such. And I've come to realize that abortion is only tolerated because it's unseen. Think about it. If abortion is no big deal and a right of the mother, why would a pro-abortionist be offended by pictures of aborted babies? Finally, and most importantly, did you notice that in all three instances, the pro-choicers all abruptly ended the conversation? None of them have the ability or willingness to articulate a defense of their positions. I'm just going to stop right here. Discussion over. I have learned over the years that might as well not even respond to anyone with that attitude. If these folks were honest, they would simply say, I can't defend my position, so instead of continuing this conversation and have my worldview challenged, I'm going to end it right now. The broader point I'm making here is, as Greg Koukl said, Like the emperor and the imaginary clothes, all it takes is one person to calmly say, you're naked, and the game's up, end quote. That is exactly what happened when I confronted my Facebook friends with the question, what about the baby? They have no answer because they've never thought about it. They have been marinating in pro-choice rhetoric for 50 years, so their responses to pro-life messages are as natural as observing the sky is blue. Then when they are forced to consider that they were advocating for the murder of innocent children, they crumble under the weight of their naive view, or beliefs, as distant relative number two called it. Let's wrap up this episode with a segment I'm going to call Pro-Choice, The Mother of All Misnomers. Subtitle, One of the World's Most Deadly Con Jobs. I've been chastised for calling people pro-abortion. They correct me and say I am not pro-abortion, I would never have one, but I am pro-choice because women should have the choice to fill in the blank. That blank could have to do with reproductive rights, health care, what to do with their own bodies, making their own health decisions, etc. All of that sounds good and makes so-called pro-choicers feel good about their position, but I'm going to call bullshit. I hereby call for a clarification of that phrase. I mean, come on, I can't be the only person to see this for what it is. Can we all at least agree that the phrase pro-choice is a misnomer? I mean, I know that in society today, that phrase is universally accepted without a blink of an eye. I hear it too often to conclude otherwise. However, it is severely flawed. My guess is that what I'm about to say is not a surprise to anyone who listens to this podcast on a regular basis, but here goes. If you are pro-choice, what is the choice in which you are in favor of? You are in favor of women choosing to terminate the life of their innocent child. To take this pro-choice conversation a bit further, how far-fetched would it be to believe the following conversation could occur in America today between a common citizen and a prominent national Democrat? Think Biden, Warren, Bernie, Buttigieg, Bloomberg, or Schumer, Feinstein, Maxine Waters, or AOC. Citizen, can I choose to smoke? Democrat politician, no, it's not good for you. Citizen, what about vaping? Can I do that? Democrat politician, of course not. Have you seen the news lately? Citizen, can I choose to drink a large soda? Bloomberg, no, it's not good for you. Citizen, can I choose to own a gun? Democrat politician, no, it's not safe for the kids. And what about the gun-free zones? Citizen, can I choose low-cost coal to generate electricity? Democrat politician, no, it's not good for the environment. Citizen, can I choose to pray in public? Democrat politician, no, it might offend somebody. Can I choose what school to send my kids to? Oh, no. You must send them to the failing public school system. Can I choose whom to hire and fire my businesses? Not really. We have regulations for that. Can I choose what pronoun to call someone? Are you, he, she, it crazy? Hell no. Think about the Obamacare fiasco. Can I choose to keep my doctor? Only if he complies with our rules and accepts our ridiculous reimbursement schedule. Can I choose to opt out of Obamacare? Oh, sure. If you pay a fine. Can I choose to keep my current health insurance plan? Sure, if you want, but the dirty little secret is, you won't have it for long. What can I choose? You can choose to have an abortion. We covered a lot of ground in this episode, from Trump's unconstitutional State of the Union call for a prohibition on late-term abortions, to the Roe v. Wade opinion, to verbal jousting on Facebook, and the misnomer of the term pro-choice. Let's just be honest, though. The only reason the abortion debate continues is because the unborn do not vote. Therefore, they don't have any rights. There was a time in America when other segments of society could not vote. We righted that wrong with constitutional amendments, and since the pro-abortion lobby has made abortion a federal issue while resisting every effort by states to minimize the death of babies, maybe a constitutional amendment is the only viable option. If you are looking for an easy-to-read reference guide to have on your desk or bookshelf that covers many of the topics tackled here, Grab a copy of my book, Critical Thinking, spelled with a P like Paul. The subtitle is The Lost Art of Critical Thinking and Common Sense in Politics and Public Policy. In it, I tackle dozens of public policy issues, including abortion. It's available at Amazon and anywhere books are sold. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for more information. And as always, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast.